you're about to hear is the fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. A Georgia Senate runoff six days from today. Shortly thereafter, a new Congress will be seated. Less than a month from now, we'll have a presidential inauguration. How might these events change the political paradigm and the state of play? My name is Steve Dace, filling in for Glenn Beck here this morning. We will discuss next. Yes, indeed, we are just as surprised as you are that uh, they allowed us back after yesterday's program. Filling in for Glenn Beck here, Merry Christmas, belatedly. Happy New Year, preemptively, uh, to all of you tuning in today. My name is Steve Dace. I host the show right after Glenn each broadcast day on Blaze TV from noon to 2 Eastern when I'm not on vacation like I am right now, except uh, I was given the opportunity to come and talk to uh, hundreds of radio stations this morning. So decided that was worth taking a day away from my vacay. And I brought our daily crew here with us as well. Todd Erzin is here with me, uh, as is uh, our other co-host and show producer, Aaron McIntyre. If you want to let us know what you think about what we think, and if you're just now getting acclimated to us and you're like, hey... I like this show. Maybe I want to hear more of it uh, in the future. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Amazon. Just look for Steve Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can also check us out uh, on the various social medias out there. Uh, like us on Facebook, on MeWe, which is the free speech alternative to Facebook. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Over on Parler, which is the free speech alternative to Twitter, at Steve Dace. And then there's our YouTube channel where we have free samples of the show that you can watch and share each day over at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And again, the last name is D-E-A-C-E. Uh, when we filled in for Glenn last year, we had fun kind of going meta for two days. And um, we did that yesterday uh, when we filled in on the program. We talked a lot of theology and philosophy on yesterday's show. Uh, we got a, a huge amount of response to it. Um, the uh, I, I will tell you, the publisher of A Nefarious Carol, my brand new book, he, uh, they're very pleased uh, because uh, we we saw our Amazon ranking absolutely soar yesterday for both A Nefarious Carol and its predecessor, A Nefarious Plot. So thank you to all of you. And yes, you can get your copy as we speak at Amazon.com right now if you liked what we had to say yesterday as we discussed those two books and what they have to say about where we stand uh, theologically, spiritually, morally, philosophically in America. You can get your copies and leave us a five-star review we would appreciate that today we're gonna we're gonna do it meta again but at a different level we're gonna do it politically today because it seems as if i mean when was the election guys November, two years no, ago <laughs> it does feel like that right november 3rd correct that was the yeah. election day okay this time i think it was november 3rd so that's what, doing public school math in my head. Today's uh, December 30th. That was 27, 57 days ago, 57 days ago. And let's face it, it's it's not over. There are still court challenges that are going on as we speak. Um, January 6th is being circled as a date. Will the U.S. Congress step in? 
uh, as it's permitted to do, as it did for Thomas Jefferson in the election of 1800. Um, you, you have uh, Louis Gohmert, the Texas congressman, is suing the vice the, Re- the Republican congressman is suing the Republican vice president of the United States uh, to try and uh, get him to use the powers that he has overseeing the electoral college. I mean this this is still an ongoing story for a lot of people in our audience. And at some point, though, the story is going to end, right? At some point, the story is going to end. On January 20th, someone is getting sworn in as president of the United States, right? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Whatevs, dude. Totes I, legit, bro. We, we jumped the alien shark, man, so I just don't know. Okay. Um, presumably... Historically, right? <laughs> Traditionally, is that good? Someone's getting inaugurated some day in January. We're not really sure, but there will be an event at some point. Correct. Tra- tradition and history, all things we love. You're not helping your case, man. No, I, I know. That's why I started laughing as soon as I started citing those <laughs> ideals. And so did you. Yes. All right. Ostensibly, <laughs> potentially. James 413 notwithstanding. Uh, yes, exactly. All right. Um, Something's going down. All right? You know, the thing. Yeah. Okay. Now we're there. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, There's going to be a Georgia Senate runoff, allegedly, on uh, a week from yesterday, right? Yeah. Okay. And I I was doing some reading yesterday on the early voting there. Have you seen the numbers? I haven't seen the up-to-date numbers. I saw the numbers a a week ago. They are out of this world. Out of this world, early voting numbers down there. Drop boxes in every backyard, hey, they left, they left chicken in every pot. They left them there. Yeah, I mean, they left them there. Stacey so. Abrams said it was incredible. Yeah. And I'm like, incredible. Yeah, yeah. In, indeed, indeed. So these events are going to take place, and and they will signify a new government. What happens in the Georgia Senate runoff will determine who controls the United States Senate. And then a couple of weeks later, maybe, I guess, we'll have uh, an inauguration. And if it's an in-person one, you know that it's Donald Trump. And if it's over Zoom and virtual, you'll know it's Joe Biden, right? Yep. Is that fair at least? I think so. Okay. All right. But either way, a new government is coming in here in the next 30 days. And that means the paradigm is going to shift. Or will it? If you're a conservative, we are. Well, we think we are. I mean, when you look at some of the people these days that call themselves conservatives, the three of us look at each other and are like, maybe that's not what we are anymore, okay? But if you call yourself a conservative, I mean, the root word of any word is what the word means. It means you're trying to conserve. What is it you're trying to conserve? You know, is what Todd would say, the true and the beautiful, um, I would put it, the, the things that have been revealed in history, <clears throat> east of Eden, to be what's best for the human condition. Those are the things that, that cause our God-given potential the best opportunity to flourish, to both love God and love our neighbors, and to use up as much of the God-given potential that he's placed in each one of us as we possibly can. Those are the things we are trying to conserve. 
our ability to do so or how we are going to be able to do so will be altered within the next month. That is not in dispute. What is in debate is how much and to what end. So over the course of the program here this morning, we're going to have a roundtable conversation. Going to be joined by, um, you know, I've been involved with a lot of campaigns, covered a lot of campaigns in my career. What probably makes me a little different than a lot of other people that do conservative media is I've actually worked in Republican Party politics. I've worked on campaigns. It's been a few years now for me. The last one I worked on was Ted Cruz's presidential campaign as a strategist. But I've, I've done the nuts and bolts operation of this. I've, I've recruited candidates. I've, I've helped them raise money. I've done more than just, which is very important, by the way, but the, the ideological work that is done in conservative media or the, the informational work that is done on issues in conservative media, that all is very, very important. But ultimately, it has to apply to practically something. It has to result in something. Otherwise, we're just sitting here and pontificating into the, into the uh, cosmos, right? We, we want it to end up being the re, something being the result of our pontifications. And I've done that resulting. It's so that gives me a little bit different perspective than a lot of the other people that you listen to in conservative media. Well, the gentleman we're going to have with us for part of this conversation today has done as much, if not more than me. He's one of the few people I've met in our industry that, and in our movement that puts my teeth on edge and makes me nervous about what he's going to say next, as I often do to all the people around me. And and frankly, I love that about him because right? it's 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 the only person I've met in our movement that when I am around them, I now become the good guy. I'm Mr. Reasonable and I never get to ever be that. I'm the grim reaper everywhere I go, but he is the prophet of woe and lamentation. And who doesn't need some of that this time of year, right? Happy New Year. Indeed. So uh, we're going to have a roundtable discussion this morning. What's the state of play for conservatives in America heading into the new year? We are the cleanup follow-up crew to Glenn Beck on the on Blaze TV each day, uh, noon to 2 Eastern. Uh, we're the Steve Dace Show. That would be me, Steve Dace, Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and we're going to have a roundtable conversation about the state of play for conservatives and conservatism heading into the new year. And of course, we have to have another member of our panel. He is our colleague here at the Blaze and Conservative Review. Uh, we have dubbed him the prophet of woe and lamentation, our good friend, Daniel Horowitz, Good to have you, brother. Uh, happy New Year to you, and uh, good to have you with us here today on the Glenn Beck Show. Happy New Year, Steve and crew. And I, I guess, Steve, you really don't want to be invited back on Glenn's show next year. Um, you know me. I, I, I love to alienate people. It's my spiritual gift, and I go out of my way to do it. And the lack of friends and events on my calendar uh, during this vacation prove just indeed how successful I am at that endeavor, right? I mean... I, not even Todd and Aaron call me uh, when we're on vacation. They're like, hey, man, we got to get away from this dude. Uh, they were practicing social distancing long before some six-year-old's research paper uh, brought it up and convinced <laughs> CDC to go with it. So here we are. All right. I've got a series of questions, gentlemen, that I want us to tackle this morning. And um, I, I got to thinking before we, we got got on the air today, if, if I were not a host for Blaze TV or filling in on the Glenn Beck program this morning, but 
you know, I was involved in conservative politics and my local Republican Party and college Republicans long before I ever got involved in media. All right. And and so if I was one of our listeners, one of our viewers, and I'm surveying the new year, and I know that there's a Georgia Senate runoff that's going to determine the balance of power in that chamber. Somebody's eventually getting inaugurated somewhere around January 20th for president, even though it's day 57 of the election that won't be won't end and won't satisfy anybody because there's still so many questions we don't have answers to but eventually time will move on and the governing part of this um will begin in 2021 and so if if i were on the other end of this conversation if i were tuned in today live on hundreds of radio stations around the country or later on on, on the Glenn Beck podcast. I mean, if, if, if I knew that they were going to have a, a roundtable conversation about where we as conservatives stand, what are the questions I'd want to get answered? And so I'm going to try to ask us as a group today those questions, all right, on behalf of the audience. So, Daniel, I'm going to start with you. Let, let's go with a big picture question. What is one word that you, Daniel, would use to describe the current political predicament for conservatives and why what what's the one word you would choose and why to describe where we are heading into 2021 well steve given that i have to realize this is no longer the internet that i'm used to so we are governed by the fcc so that eliminates certain words um <laughs> but uh let's see Dick like frolicking franchise. you were gonna say frolicking right you frolicking yes. exactly um uh, let's see. Cheated, disenfranchised, homeless, stateless, masked, muzzled, gagged, silenced, censored, expendable, all around, down and out. And Does already America knows why I dubbed him the prophet of woe and lamentation. <laughs> I asked for one word. He gave us 28 and they descended in negativity from <laughs> word three on. But continue your answer. Go ahead, Daniel. Steve, I mean, look, they all have the same theme. What would happen if you were governed by the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks? And they got into pretty, uh, uh, you know, pretty tough tussles there. Well, where does that leave us? And I think it's all of those words put together where we do not have a team. We are disenfranchised. Headed forward, we don't have a leader. We don't have a movement. We don't have a political party. We don't have a seat at the table to air any of our grievances, to redress any of those grievances, whether it's corona fascism, whether it's growing crime, whether it's debt, dependency, socialism, where is the team on the field? Because I'm not seeing it. And I think that is our challenge into 2021 to create that team, to get on the map, to get some sort of representation in some part of the country where our views could get their just airing. That is our challenge. And I know I sound pretty dark with that, but I think because we've hit rock bottom, perhaps there's nowhere to go but up from here. Okay. Aaron, same question to you. What one word would you use to describe where we as conservatives stand heading into the new year, and why did you choose that one? Fear is what I would choose, and the one word that I would use to, des to describe where conservatives are and what their current political predicament is. And fear, I believe, is what has governed the conservative movement for far too long. It's, it's why we're locked into this 
really abusive relationship with the Republican Party. Now, I don't mean fear as being any time you vote for a Republican. Um, Self-defense is different than fear. If you voted for a Republican because you want the government off of your back, at least the federal government off your back while you go local, if you will, that, that's not fear. What fear is, fear, uh, making fear-based decisions, makes you vote for Mitt Romney after John McCain instead of just saying, no, get a better nominee. You mean during the primary During process. the primaries, yeah. yes. Um, so those those types of things, I, I think, are why we are where we are right now. And it ties into to what we'll be talking about in a little bit as well. But I, I think as long as we're making decisions based out of fear of what the left will do, and by all means, what they want to do to this country is very fearful, is very fearsome. So I, I don't mean that to mitigate them, but as long as we keep thinking that Republicans are going to be the savior, the solution, to me, that's making a fear-based uh, decision. So I think it's just rife with fear right now. Todd. Uh, <clears throat> tumbleweed. Uh, just <laughs> an, okay. an inert, formerly alive, now dead thing, blown about by forces not of its own uh, creation, not of its own will. Just drifting down a, a, across a, a vast wasteland. A, exactly. Desolate. Because, listen, even in... And I'm using your terms literally. We're talking about conservatives. We're not necessarily talking about Republicans. There's... Texas now is increasingly less conservative, and yes, it's still obviously dominated by Republicans, but mm -hmm. we're, we're talking recently about the state of Texas being in play. In, in, in this, this, this getting a team on the field, this is not even a game, even if we have a team, uh, can, can, we can win because the premises are all wrong. We, we can't aspire to win this at the federal level because conservative doesn't believe the all the major themes are supposed to be solved at the federal level. Conservative needs to plant flags in particular states, take back ground. You can't have public universities in conservative states like the University of Texas that are just as liberal as anywhere else. It, it does not work. It doesn't matter if you have uh, even have a team because the game is rigged. And the outcome is heads I win, tails you lose, yes. no matter how you play it. So the only way to win the game is not to play yeah. or to play a different game. Exactly. To change the paradigm. Yes. Right? All right, we'll come back. Taking a look at the state of play for conservatives heading into 2021 next on the Glenn Beck Program. Continuing to take a look at the state of play politically heading into 2021, especially for those of us who call ourselves conservatives. We are the crew from the Steve Dace Show filling in for Glenn Beck here uh, today on the Glenn Beck Program. That's me, Steve Dace, Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin. And for our roundtable conversation today, we had to get a very special guest, the prophet of woe and lamentation, our colleague here at The Blaze and Conservative Review, Daniel Horowitz. So, gentlemen, I wanted to start with kind of an elevator pitch questioning, you know, get the temperature in the room amongst the three of you, where you guys all think we are uh, as a movement from a big picture perspective. All right. So let's get granular now and deal with the issue of the moment that a lot of our people are fixated on right this moment. And let's just put it out there. Let's address the elephant in the room. Do you believe this election was stolen? And if you do, I mean, is anybody going to do anything about it that would prevent Joe Biden from being sworn in come January? Why or why not? 
And Aaron, this time I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Yeah, I believe the election was stolen. And just as an aside, very quickly, you know, I, I don't believe that there was some globalist conspiracy. Don't attribute to conspiracy what can be explained by programming, meaning progressive secular programming. And take away all of the witness affidavits, take away the Kragen, take away Dominion voting theories and the corporate structure like you mentioned yesterday, Steve. Just look at the statistical anomalies and the incongruence of those statistical anomalies. Why wasn't the same trend line in Milwaukee and Philadelphia present in St. Louis and Dallas or Houston? Uh, those types of things. And that is enough for me to say, you know what, this stinks to high heaven. So yes, I believe the election was stolen and there's not going to be anything done about it because as, as we've said multiple times on our own show, the Steve Day show, um, th this is not a nation of laws and it never has been. It's a nation of will, a political will, and it always will be. And I don't think there's enough, at least amongst the people who are charged or have the ability to do something about it, there's not enough political will because orange man bad. Hey, Mike Pence is going to save us on January the Mike 6th. Mike Pence will save us. Yeah, just like he saved religious freedom in Indiana, just like he uh, saved the country from Debbie Burks. No, actually, he gave us Debbie Burks and the IHME model. But Todd, what do you think? How would you answer that question? Well, Aaron's answer is as likely as anything else. And that being the case, the answer is no, nothing is going to happen. But I, I would simply say, and this isn't a doubt, I, I, I don't know. The, no matter how badly Trump did or did not get screwed, the case was, in, it was incumbent upon him to make a case. And if anything, I think he's muddied the waters in, in, in many respects. Others perhaps have clarified, but it was on him and his campaign to do so. We said from the beginning, and we said about other issues, we can't care about this more than him. And the way they've gone about uh, uh, trying to bring clarity to this right out of the gate, when you don't have three years like you did with Flynn, as you've said, Steve, mm -hmm. you, had, you were on the clock and you had to be good at this out of the gate, and they haven't. And honestly, the best case scenario maybe Aaron being right, but uh, but uh, in terms of going to the first question, conservatives, just getting screwed out of this and realizing you can't keep playing this game as conservatives and Republicans and think you're not ultimately going to get shafted. Where they get to make every, all the rules, yes, decide all the laws, exactly. count all the votes, determine what a vote is, name every term. You can't win a game like that is what you're saying. Yeah, so it, maybe it, this is the slap in the face uh, everybody needs to start doing things differently. I'm not going to hold my breath on that, but the way everything has been going, and quite frankly, let's face it, the other reason I don't know is it's really, if, if Biden won legitimately, no matter how close it was, he should be the president of the United States. One thing I, I definitely fear is that there's probably just as many people on the right as the left that could care less about what reality is, and they just want what they want. And we all go down a very ugly rabbit hole if that's our bottom well, that, line. That happens, though, when you're when you're in a schism as a people. Yes. When 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 I think it took us on the right many years to acknowledge that the left had no issue or interest in sharing a country. Elements of the left have no interest in sharing a country with us. Okay, that's why they don't accommodate us on, on, on any level. And I think now the right has more and more begun to understand this and figure that out, which is good, okay, because it's the truth, but it also presents its own challenge. Yes, then. How, oh, do you, indeed. how do we then not have a zero-sum game, right? How yeah. do we avoid a schisming country? Because it, it appears we're watching 
Uh, you know, I've, I've compared this to the Avignon papacy on our daily show. It appears you're watching a, a schism play mm-hmm. itself out in real time. And when, when both sides of a schism realize that they can't or don't want to live with one another anymore, then it reshapes your view of the reality, as you just put it. Daniel, what do you think? Look, mechanically, as Aaron said, of course the election was stolen. If you even discount any questions about Dominion and electronic fraud, if you just look at the election law fraud, meaning the ballots that were cast not pursuant to law, and then the ballot fraud, which is kind of the middle ground, and those are the dead voters voting, the non-citizens voting, um, but based on what the Nevada uh, Republican Party confirmed, Georgia, it's been confirmed. Uh, you just look at Ken Paxton's lawsuit, 15, 20 pages, everyone focused on the standing issue, but he laid out just clearly just from the election That's the attorney general fraud. from Texas, Ken Paxton, that, by the way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes. Election law fraud. If you look at the margin of victories and you add up the anomalies, incongruencies, um, the rejection rates of those millions of extra mail-in ballots that weren't cast pursuant to law. There's no question that based on the laws duly passed by the 50 states, Donald Trump came out ahead. The question is by how much, where, but it was clearly enough in my mind. But again, I think as everyone's saying, the theme for today is what we're doing is not working and we need to look beyond that because frankly, Everything's been rigged against us. This is the year of the COVID data fraud Mm -hmm. when the motorcycle deaths are COVID deaths and the flu has disappeared. Oh, and by the way, your constitutional rights have disappeared. The governing fraud is even greater than the the election fraud. A lot of people say, hey, Daniel, do you really believe that they could have pulled off something like this? And I say, look at what they've done in broad daylight. (laughs) kidding. Taking away our constitutional rights. Like, you know, they don't hide this. The, the, the mayor or governor gets up there with a the flick of the wrist. Hey, I'm holding a press conference at 8 p.m. tonight. All right, here's the deal. No businesses, faces covered indefinitely. Shut up. Here's what we're doing. And to me, that's greater governing fraud mm-hmm. than even stealing an election. And, and we had no problem with it. So that's the broader issue. This is emblematic of the systemic fraud in our governing system. Perfectly said. Yep. Uh, you know, to me... Going back to what I said to you, Todd, if, if you allow one side to pick the rules, change them on the fly, then pick the officials, then um, get to determine who gets the ball and for how long, and they, and they get to do anything they can adjust it at any point in time they want. You know, Brian Kemp's on Fox News last night saying, I had to follow the laws of Georgia. Well, which laws, Governor? The laws your legislature passed or the ones that the courts have, are just are still doing. I mean, we've still got Stacey Abrams' sister making rulings in Georgia as a federal judge as we speak right now. Okay, so which laws are we talking about? The ones that the duly elected legislature passed or the ones that you just enforced that are court edicts? Which laws? And so if those are the rules, you know, for us as conservatives, you know, we're, we're seeking to d- conserve defined things. Otherwise, if they've not been defined as good or true, it's no point in conserving them, right? We, we're, not, we're, we're not conserving variables. We're conserving constants. We're, not, we're, we're looking to conserve things that are certified as true or facts. We can't win if, it's, if the environment is who nails jello on the door best. If the environment is who's got the best amorphous blob and cries victim and racist better. 
Uh, who plays who plays uh, group identity politics better? We can't win. Those are all morally subjective realities. They are contrary to what conservatism actually is, which is an observational science. We have observed through history, this is what's good and true. Let's, re let's repeat it. We've observed through history, this is what's bad and false. Let's not do that. That's what conservatism is. When the other side is, well, what's good? What's bad? Depends on what your definition of the word is, is. What's a vote? What's a drop box? What's a vote date? What's a posted stamp? What's a law? What's a legislature? What's a branch? Constitution, what is it? We can't win that debate. And yet we keep playing by those rules. Steve, and go I, I ahead quickly. Say, go ahead, Daniel, in 30 seconds, quickly. Remember the debate over federalism and states get to do what they want. And how does the Texas attorney general get to question it? Again, talk about that one-sided federalism. Heads, they win. Tails, we lose. Right. You just mentioned federal judge in Georgia saying you have to count dirty voter rolls, dead voters. You can't win a game like that. Right. I mean, we tried to change and clean up election laws at the state level. They threw all our, the courts threw all our voter ID laws, even constitutional amendments, they threw them out. All right. And so they get to do, they get to impose on any form of federalism their way that they would like. When we try to push back on it or correct it, we have to still abide by a rules of federalism that are no longer relevant. You cannot win this way. It's an unwinnable game. That's the point we're trying to make. More in a moment. Back here on the Glenn Beck program, we are the crew from the Steve Day Show, noon to two Eastern, right after Glenn here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Look us up, D-E-A-C-E. -E. My name is Steve, Todd Aaron, here with us. One of our favorite guests, we had to bring him in if we're talking the state of play politically, our weekly prophet of woe and lamentation and colleague here at the Blaze, Daniel Horowitz, uh, is here with us as well. All right, let's get to the next question to address, and it's probably for the best that we're asking this question, it's providence that we're gonna ask it in the shortest segment of the hour. <laughs> because if there was ever a question that threatened uh, our standing from an FCC perspective to let it uh, to let it slip and fly, all right, this would be it. So everybody's got to self-edit because we're limited in time, okay? If the relationship between conservatives and the Republican Party were a Facebook status, what would that status be? I'm going to be quick because I want to get out of the way for Daniel, but I, I think it would be trumped. Conservatism has, uh, is a term that's easily been co-opted. We've had compassionate conservative. We've had severely conservative. Neoconservative. It's been used and abused. Yeah. Uh, and then the Republican Party is, is simply— Or my favorite, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a fiscal conservative for Sodom and Gomorrah. I like that one. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. we, the, the Republican Party has clearly had a record of simply using and abusing conservatives for issues that have nothing to do uh, uh, with propagating uh, the, those values. So uh, it, it, until we see differently, it, the term is trumped. He he owned the Republican Party for the last four years. Uh, he, he, he We had options as conservatives, uh, namely Ted Cruz four years ago. We chose Donald Trump instead. So until we see something different, it is trumped. All right, Aaron. I think for me, it's in an open relationship because once or I should say, yeah, once every 730 days, they're able to rattle their zipper, meaning most establishment Republicans. And you know what? They get what they want from us. Uh, the rest of the time, though, they're, they're seeing other people and they just actually don't want anything to do with us. I'm just we're a booty call. We're just a booty call. Gotcha. Once every 730 days, whether it's a midterm or a presidential election, they call on us. We give them what they want and then they move on. Rest of the time they're hanging out on K Street. You've never been to Washington, D.C., by the way, folks. 
that's a literal street where the lobbyist firms are located. It's, it's literally called K Street. The rest of the time, they're hanging out on K Street, media, and, you know, they, they can't sleep, 3 a.m., that's election night. They call us up and say, hey, uh, what, you, what you doing? Right? That's what we are. We're the booty call. Daniel, what is it? Well, we got to keep it clean. So, uh, Stockholmed. <laughs> Stockholmed. Abused. Um, look, I mean, Aaron already hinted to this. It's an abused wife. And that's what it is. That's what it's always been. I don't think it's changed much with Trump. It's had some wrinkles over the last four years, but it's basically been this way since Reagan and really before Reagan as well. It's just the consequences have gotten worse. It's an abused spouse where we know they are cheating on us. They're cheating on us while they promise us more flowers, but we are just too scared to go out in that world alone. We are convinced we can't go it alone. We cannot live without the Republican Party. I grew up in a home that had some of the um, abuse that you're talking about. And I mean, I, I, you know, when I got old enough to understand what was going on as a teenager and a young adult, you know, my mom and I would like have conversations and we'd like, we'd even take turns. Like my mom would be like, we got to leave. And I'd be like, I don't want to go. This is my, I'm on the sports team. I I like my high school, which doesn't exist anymore. Wyoming Rogers. I've got friends. I don't want to run, you know? And then like it would happen again. And then the next time we just flip sides and I'd be like, all right, mom, we've got to get out of here. And she's like, I got a good job at the med station. You know, I mean, I know exactly what you're describing, Daniel. I live this in my home. And, and there is this fear, though, that whatever's out there is actually worse than what you're experiencing. So you just keep tolerating it. And then eventually you get pushed to the point that you can't tolerate it anymore and you just leave, not because you took a stand, but it's survival or nothing. And then you then you start thinking to yourself, man, I really wish I'd have done this a long time ago. I'm, I'm, I can breathe the free air again. That, I think, is kind of where we're at with Team GOP. All right, we're one hour down, two hours to go. The state of play for conservatives heading into 2021. We'll continue that next year on the Glenn Beck Program. Well, my name is Steve Dace, filling in for Glenn Beck here this morning, and this is not my first rodeo with the conservatives and our complicated relationship with the Republican Party show. I've I've done this program a few times, a few 10,000 times over the years. So given where we just left off, I already know your lament. Well, what do you expect us to do? You're all like Richard Gere, an officer and a gentleman. I got nowhere else to go. Right? I want to address that next. This is the Glenn Beck Program. All right, back here on the Glenn Beck Program. The crew here from the Steve Day Show, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn here on Blaze TV, each broadcast day. That's me, Steve Dace, uh, Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre. We have a special guest with us today for our roundtable conversation on the state of conservatism and politics heading into 2021. Uh, he is our prophet of woe and lamentation around here at the Blaze. Our colleague, Daniel Horowitz, joins us. And before we move on to the next question, I want to. I think we have a loop we have to close on the question we posed right before the end of the last hour, because I, I know a lot of you that are listening today. How you feel is this: the Republican Party. Um, if if I don't vote Republican, I will drown. And yet, if I do vote Republican, no one will save me from drowning. It's I'm treading water, right? I'm paddling out here in the open sea. And there's nobody coming to save me 
But if I don't vote Republican and let the other guys win, I'm going to drown. And so what what do you want me to do? How do you expect me to behave? And again, given the environment I grew up in at times, I completely and totally understand this sentiment. Uh, I spent years and years of my career working within the Republican Party. I, I recruited candidates. I helped several get elected. And um, over the course of time, I learned that the only party that hates people like me more than the Democrats are the Republicans. Because they feel like they have to at least feign catering to people like us when they really like to, most of them to be up there uh, pillaging and plundering the countryside for their groups of special interests every bit as much as the Democrats do. And they really don't want to get involved in any of these culture war issues because they don't care. And if they, they either don't care or most of them actually agree with Democrats more than us. And yet, in the 2018 midterms, I did something I'd not done in over a decade, voted straight ticket Republican. I darn near did the exact same thing in 2020. Now, why did I do that? Because it took me some time, but I, I think I might finally disdain and loathe the Republican Party even more than it disdains and loathes me, all right? But I'm also not stupid. I recognize the Visigoths are coming over the wall. So while I don't think the Republicans are the centurions coming to save us, I'm happy to just throw their carcasses between me and them to give me some time <clears throat> to figure out what is it, what else can we possibly do? See, I, I think the, the problem we have here is we're not nimble as conservatives. That we have, we have cornered ourselves with a binary choice that for a long time it didn't exist. But we so cornered ourselves with it that we created a, a self-fulfilling prophecy that now it kind of does. <clears throat> now it is. It wasn't true 20 years ago. It wasn't true 10 years ago. Vote Republican or it's the end of America. Yet, guys, did we hear this all of our lives? Right. We heard this all of our lives, right? But it was George W. Bush who launched the dumbest foreign policy decision of all time, uh, the war in Iraq. It was... It was George W. Bush who gave us Medicare Part D, the biggest welfare state boondoggle until the Obama administration. It was Mitt Romney who gave Barack Obama his worst idea before he had it, Romney Care, right? We could go on and on and on. How many, it was a Republican majority court that gave us Roe v. Wade. It was a Republican majority court that gave us Windsor. Um, we could go on and on, right? Yeah. So this wasn't true for a long time. It was a lie that we told ourselves, and, we, and, and frankly, a lot of people in conservative media who are prostitutes for Team GOP got paid to say. The problem is, though, we bought it so for, almost religiously, dogmatically. It became like a creed. Well, now we're at the point that it actually kind of is true. Like, they're really, I mean, the Democrats are really just going to play out uh, the musical Reds every time you elect them, no matter where you elect them. doesn't matter where. doesn't matter where. They're, I mean, they're, they're, they're dancing to Moscow, no matter where you elect them now. It's all out in the open now. And so now we're kind of like, oh, bleep. We <laughs> I don't want the Republicans to win and I can't afford for the Democrats to. What do I do? We have to, we have to get outside of our binary box here. Number one, you have to, ex politics is a game of leverage, Republicans may not think that much differently than Democrats, sadly, in all too many cases. 
but they're not going to get a lot of Democrat votes no matter how close they come to their thinking either, which means to get elected, who do they need? They're not getting Democrats to vote for them, so who do they need? Us. Us. So in any relationship, in any relationship, the power resides in the party that has to give its consent. Ultimately, that's where the power resides. And whoever is the consenting party is where the power resides in that relationship. Who is the consenting authority in this, in this relationship between us and the Republican Party? We are. We have to vote for them, correct? Yeah. All right. And so, therefore, if we're the consenting authority, where does the power reside? With us. Instead, we're though, what people. we've done, yeah, we, instead what we have done is we have decided that because the Democrats are Marxists, that must mean my completely emasculated, limp-wristed, low-T-level, corporate prostitute Republican must now suddenly be Moses. Or he's, he's Captain America, George Washington. Crossed the, the 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 Delaware on his way to to coming uh, you know to a, a, a my Lions Club meeting and speaking for fifteen minutes and then ejecting because he was busy or something. No, we've had the power all along. Do you want to know? I, I've I've talked about this before, but never on Glenn's show. Prior to when a lot of you got to know who I was, and I was an up and coming plucky conservative commentator, I was contributing on MSNBC as a token conservative. I probably did over 50 panels on MSNBC over several years. And it was interesting. The I, One issue, we, we debated every issue on these panels. Well, they debated me, basically. The, the one issue, though, I don't ever remember us debating. They, they never were fretting whether the more moderate Democrat was going to win the primary or whether the, the pro-life Democrat might win. And then could they still support them in the general? They didn't even care. We never even talked about Democratic primaries unless it was a presidential race. They didn't care. Why? Because whether you elect a Democrat to the U.S. Senate in Louisiana, I guarantee in Louisiana, or you elect him in California, they're all voting the same. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Why? Because their base made it so. Their base made it that this is unacceptable. This is what we want. And you will give us what we want or we will take you out. We don't do that. We've turned these Republicans into matinee idols. You know, we've got like our local congressman's rookie card in the spokes of our bike. And we're like trading them with our buddies. Hey, man, I'll give you a Tim Scott rookie if I can get like a Ray Langford all-star card. That's what we do. We turn these guys into heroes. And the Democratic Party, they are instruments, servants, and they come and they go, Hobbs, and they come and they go. And they go based on whether you do what we say, and they come based on whether you do what we say. We don't do this. We have given the Republican Party, frankly, more grace and allegiance than we've given the vast majority of our churches and, frankly, our own families. We have excused away behavior and betrayals from people with the magic R after their name. And he won the primary, Abraham, and it was bestowed upon him the magic R. And therefore, it was credited to him righteousness. We have taken stuff from grown-ass adults, lies right to our face because they had the R after their name we wouldn't take from our own young children. This is why we're in the predicament that we are in. We have been willing to take it. And if, if you want to know, a political party is only as good as the people that inhabit it. We need to run our, stop running for platform committee. Nobody cares. All right. 
no one, they just disregard it. Run for the rules committee. Who's making the rules? That's where, run where the power is at. Don't run for state legislature and then just stay there. Run for speaker of the state house. Take power. That's what the Democratic base has done. And that's why they are the power in the Democratic Party. We have not done that within the Republican Party. And that's why we are powerless. More in a moment. I mentioned this earlier. Let me talk about this again really quick. I mean, we had, we had a fun show yesterday uh, looking at things uh, from a meta level, uh, philosophically, morally, spiritually, theologically, um, and uh, used uh, two of my books, uh, A Nefarious Carol and A Nefarious Plot, uh, to kind of be the launching pads for those conversations. We had huge response to those shows and huge response uh, to those two books. So I wanted to say thank you to uh, all of you very much doing your part uh, to make sure that the uh, the the three days children do indeed get a Christmas next year. So <clears throat> you can still get your copies as we speak right now over at Amazon.com, A Nefarious Carol and A Nefarious Plot. But let's continue on talking politics, shall we? With the roundtable question. Thank you guys for indulging me for a few minutes there. I just felt like we had to kind of close that loop because I can almost hear a corner, a, a portion of the audience in the corner of my ear protesting. What else is the alternative then? I, you're right. They suck, but what else are we supposed to do, right? So let's get to the next question. And Daniel Horowitz, our prophet of woe and lamentation, I'll start with you. What's the biggest issue or issues you believe facing conservatives in 2021? So Steve, this time last year, had you asked me that question, I would have given you the traditional litany of issues. But I don't think it's an exaggeration at this juncture in history to say we are repeating August 1st, 1776, couple weeks after Sam Adams himself signed the Declaration of Independence, he spoke before the Pennsylvania legislature in Philly, and he said, our contest is not only whether we ourselves shall be free, but whether there shall be left to mankind an asylum on earth for civil and religious liberty. That's what is facing us in hmm. 2021. I mean, whether we could walk around without a Chinese diaper on our nose and mouth, whether business owners could not go to jail simply for earning a living. I mean, these are serious things that I think I think we've only almost become desensitized. We've forgotten about it. That is the contest. It's Corona fascism to put a specific uh, issue title on it. And it's also mixed with Anarchy. It's it's really two issues. It's anarcho-tyranny. The story of 2020 was this two-tier justice system. Mm-hmm. That if you're BLM and Antifa, if you're a violent gangster with a rap sheet, you get let out of jail, you don't get prosecuted, you don't get locked up. But if you're a business owner, a single mom in Minnesota opening up a business, her gymnastics class and her, her restaurant – you get threatened with jail time. And in fact, the very virus that was used as a pretext to empty the jails by 40, 50% in most cities is now being used as an excuse to put you and I in those jails. This is not an exaggeration. Hey man, if, if, you were, if, 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 if you're a meth addict who once pointed a gun at a pregnant woman's stomach and, and you got murdered by a cop, you can have 75 funerals on national TV 
all over the country. But if one of those people we let out of those prison cells that you talked about, Daniel, if, if, if they murdered your loved one, you can't have a funeral for them. Is that the two-tiered system you're talking about? That type of thing. Or if you yeah. run over a proud boy in Washington, D.C., you don't get prosecuted. Um, but if you defend yourself, you you do get prosecuted. I mean, this is serious stuff. Life, liberty, property. And speaking of Sam Adams, he always said, and the col- the colonists have the right to defend themselves. <laughs> because otherwise, you don't have those aforementioned three rights. That is what's on the table. Corona fascism is what's for dinner. And Steve, I just want to piggyback off your seminal opening monologue there. This is our contest. It's going to be in the states, mainly not 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 at a federal level. And it's going to be this. Republicans control 24 trifectas, really 25 if you include Kentucky, because the Republican legislature could override everything uh, the governor does. They have 31 legislative bodies they control. Hmm. The question is. Okay, this is not Biden. This is not Pelosi. There are some states where there's literally two or three Democrats left in the legislature. I'm not kidding you. Yet the governors in those states sound like Cuomo and Gavin Newsom on coronavirus. That is our question. It's not a matter of, Daniel, I don't want the Democrats to win. The Democrats aren't winning there. In Ohio, Republicans have greater majorities than Democrats have in California. Yet DeWine is just as bad as, as Cuomo. DeWine is Are awful. we going to get on their cases? Are we going to primary them? Are we going to take to the streets? Are we going to the, get the legislatures to remove the emergency powers? That is the specific contest of our time. And notice I didn't mention Washington, D.C. Mm. Todd, same question to you. It, Daniel nailed it. It's, it's dystopia. Uh, the American Revolution, quite frankly, is forfeit. It's a reclamation effort. We're not li- we're living in a place and standing on soil called America, but it's not America anymore, and it hasn't been for quite some time. The the, the Republic of Rome fell, and hey, it's kind of cool, and you're feeling hip for a while. As long as we get Octavius, you know, we're rolling, we're rolling. But <laughs> it, we haven't. Now we're in the time of Caligula. It, I, we don't know what a gender is. <laughs> the Constitution is something that is is used against us because we have this warm, fuzzy feeling of this contract. Uh, but it's it, where are the where are the consequences yes, of not you following abide, it? You abide by clauses of it that don't actually yeah. exist, while we do whatever we want to the clauses that do. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Where are the consequences for anyone from the press, the FBI? I mean, the FBI. My God, they're basically staffed by the same people that run journalism. Yeah, we found out yesterday that. That the Nashville bomber's girlfriend uh, told him last year that she was concerned he was making bombs in the basement. I, maybe she should have said, hey, I, I think my boyfriend has a garage door rope shaped as a noose. Can you guys do something about it? And we know 15 FBI agents would have would have uh, moved on that property stat. Right. right. Yeah. We'll know this isn't a dystopia when the Democrats once again are coming back and begging for the protections of the Constitution instead of ignoring them and doing whatever they want. Aaron? I'm going to change this just slightly. The biggest issue facing the conservative in 2021, because there's a number of issues. I mean, big, big time issues. You could go over mandatory vaccines, big tech, any number of issues. But the conservative, when you look in the mirror, what's the biggest issue facing you? What are you willing to do? What are you willing to do about it? That's the biggest issue. 
It could be as simple as I'm going to go to the drugstore or I'm going to go to uh, to shop somewhere. I'm not going to wear a mask from this day forward. I'm just not. Or it could be if you're a business owner, I'm not abiding by these regulations. And if they try to find me, I'm throwing it in the trash. If you're a pastor, you should have already had your church opened up by uh, for, for months now. Multiple months. You should have never closed it down except for maybe in the first two, three weeks. What are you willing to do? That's the biggest issue facing the conservative in, in 2021. All of your answers are really good. You guys, you guys might have a future doing this for a living. I, I know one of the largest radio shows in the history of the industry probably isn't the greatest place to like um, get on the job training, but you know, it's the holidays and they're desperate for help, right? But in the future, you guys, you three might, you guys might be able to do this, like have your own gigs and stuff. Thanks, boss. All right. Hey, when we come back, what happens if Trump does leave office on January the 20th? Where does he go next? We'll discuss that when we come back next. Back here filling in on the Glenn Beck program. We are the crew from the Steve Day Show, noon to 2 Eastern. Each broadcast day on Blaze TV right after Glenn. You can also subscribe to the podcast if you want to check us out. We're off right now. But you want to go back and listen to some of the things you've missed if you've never heard us before, just look for Steve Dace, D-E-A-C-E, on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, etc. Uh, my daily partners are here uh, with me, Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and one of our favorites, uh, he's our colleague here at The Blaze, Daniel Horowitz, is here with us as well. We're kind of doing a roundtable, big-picture conversation about the state of play for conservatives heading into 2021. All right, next question I want us to tackle. Gentlemen, if Trump does indeed leave office on January the 20th and Joe Biden is sworn in, as it appears right now, that's going to happen, barring some kind of a miracle. How will the former president, the then former president, Donald Trump, how will he continue to impact the conservative movement, conservative media? And then how would you like him to? Todd, I'll start with you this time. Well, the influence is going to be massive because what we're going to be viewing, at least in the near term, is the great martyrdom of Donald Trump. Now, I have a complicated relationship with him. Before 2020, full disclosure, I, I had no plans on voting for him. I just, uh, I, even with the good he did bring to the table, a populist flair that I think is important to follow through on, I just didn't think he was that great at his job. And then 2020 came. And the all-in on dystopia from the left. I mean, listen, I, I've got to go with this guy, and I, I do so unapologetically. Uh, and I, I say that in the last four years, even when I think he didn't do his job well, he has been treated as unfairly as any American president in history. He, he, he's not Hitler. He was a Democrat most of his life. He's not suddenly a racist who wanted to take all your rights away. And by the way, then he goes off and golfs and you complain that he's just golfing and not going to work being a tyrant. It's just all very, very stupid. So we've got the great martyrdom that he's going to capitalize on. And what that's going to continue to do is it's going the left is going to be obsessed with it and then conservatives and people of the right are going to be yeah this is awesome so we've seen this before in many ways uh what i wish would happen that's going to be good some days that's going to be bad some days what i wish would happen is that he would just go away because the good things that he brought to the table somebody needs to fill that vacuum and mm -hmm. we may as well get on with who that somebody is and how good they can be at it all right aaron I think the, the most natural thing here for Trump is 
assuaging his own, let's just face it, uh, you don't get to where be where he is right now without having some need for attention and being asked questions and and just, uh, just again, getting a lot of attention. So I think the most natural path for Trump is to partner or start his own media network to try to destroy Fox News because there is a lot of bad blood there, at least post-election. I think that would be the most natural path because he would be killing two birds with one stone. He'd be getting all of the attention that he would like to have from the media, from his own media outlet, and then he'd be destroying Fox News. I I think that would be um, overall a good thing because for so many years that network has been the gatekeeper of conservative of, of republican politics in in this country uh, if you can't get on fox news you're, you're gonna have a really tough time in a republican primary anywhere so i think that's the most natural path for him is is going on to some media venture and trying to destroy uh, fox news now how would i like him to impact uh the conservative movement or media well, destroying Fox News would be a good uh, uh, would be a good start. Of course, nature of abhors a vacuum, so whatever venture that would be would I think would take the the place of Kingmaker, where you have to go kiss Trump's ring instead of the Murdochs. Um, so I I think I I think I would like that the most I don't know likely or conceivable way for him to impact the conservative movement is to do all he can to disrupt the Republican Party and or destroy certain factions or the whole thing of of the Republican Party. That would be what I would like him to do. Will he be able to do that? Maybe with his, uh, a media venture, he might be able to be powerful enough to do so. Of course, as you mentioned before, he is a martyr in the eyes of upwards of 70 million Americans. So he is de facto president. He is de facto uh, speaker. A representative for 70 million Americans, I think the Mitt Romneys of the world, I think the rhinos of the world don't really understand or realize that they're going to have to reckon with that for for the foreseeable future. They don't realize that he's yet. probably more dangerous to them in the general population than he is sitting at 1600 they, Pennsylvania they, Avenue. They think that him just leaving means he's leaving. Yeah. No, no, no. Because sitting in there, as we just saw again, uh, this week, the pressure to get a deal done sitting in that seat, right, in the White House. Mm-hmm. But just sitting on his Twitter account or whatever platform he creates for himself, he doesn't have any pressure to get any deal done. And he can just call out all of the deals they're trying to get done and expose them to a lot more sunlight than they otherwise would, right? Right. See, I think he's far more dangerous to the Republican establishment sitting in the general population than he is inside the White House. But Daniel, what do you think? What's his future so for, this year? So so first off, I mean, I think Aaron's right as far as the alternative to Fox News. There's no question he's thinking about that. I would add that there's a parallel on social media online that I think he will blow up, whether it's blowing up parlor in a, in a good way. I mean, you know, patronizing it and becoming a leader there or another platform. He will do it simply because he's going to get kicked off Twitter. And that's his primary mode of communicating. Yep. And he won't be alone. We're we, we all getting kicked off. Let's just there's be There's no honest. question. The yeah. question is how many days after January 20th yep. it will take for him to suspend his account. That's going to happen. What would I like him to do? Oh, my gosh. I mean, Steve, you talk about the binary choice, this, this 
just impasse that we've been at for for decades with what to do, this man could single-handedly change that. Now, look, there's no shortcut to properly building that Boy Scout fire with you know having people at a county level dealing with conservative politics in the right way, pressuring and removing Republicans starting bottom up until eventually we, we reach a federal level. But this man, like you mentioned, could upend the Republican Party. He could be more powerful than he was as president. He could be more powerful than Joe Biden. If I had one audience with him, I would say primaries, baby. Now's your time to redeem yourself. Look, I've been through this for about 12 years. And it is impossible to win primaries. We don't have money. We don't have name recognition. Yep. Even though 80 to 90 percent of the party agrees with us, like we see with Trump, you know, 95 percent of the Republicans are for Trump. Uh, there is no constituency for Bill Kristol or these these rhinos. But they win by default because they have the money, the name ID. They put out lying ads. They control the party. It's all haunted. It's all it's all fake. And we can't get the big names on board with the primaries. If this man were to go tomorrow, okay? Let's start with Ohio, a trending red state. Trump owns that state. He remade Ohio. Mm -hmm. They have super majorities in the legislature. Trump did to Ohio what Obama did to Virginia, basically. Turn it from a swing state into a state that definitely tilts to one side now. Yes. Exactly. That's what he did to it. He could go, there are about, I would start with the governors. Every lockdown governor, there's about 10 Republican governors who support lockdown that are up for re-election or they're going to be open seats. If he were to go in and promise that he would support and hold rallies with them, you would get better recruitment. For yep. example, Warren Davidson could run in Ohio. He could remake the Republican Party. We could win 10 governorships, Senate seats. That is something we can never do, have never done. And that is something he he can do. Will he do it? I don't know. But someone's got to get in his ear. I think what you guys have just laid out, and and you quantified it with your experience well, the, the specifics of what he could do to terrorize this system. Um, there's far more power in that long term than, frankly, there probably even is in another term in the White House, given how that would upend the political paradigm. Uh, we will discuss this more here in a moment. All right, guys, I want to follow up on Trump out of the White House in 2021 and what kind of an impact he could have as we continue our roundtable conversation here. Steve Dace with Totters and Aaron McIntyre, the prophet of woe and lamentation, Daniel Horowitz. We all work together here with Glenn uh, at, at the Blaze and Blaze TV. Uh, in fact, we're the show noon to two Eastern after Glenn uh, each day here on Blaze TV. The idea of him starting a platform uh, to, to compete or to go after Fox News. And Daniel, maybe you know the answer to this question. If indeed he wants to play the role of kingmaker um, or is considering running again in 2024 or at the very least wants to leave that option open, can you do that with a network? Do you run into any legalities there? particularly if your name is Donald Trump and they're just looking to come after you, right? Okay, so is is that a situation where he, he can't play in both of those pawns? I mean, we all knew what Roger Ailes was doing for years at Fox, 
right? I'll, I'll never forget being on the cruise campaign as we watched. We got the most votes in Iowa any candidate ever received. And the next day, Roger Ailes' uh, preferred uh, dimple-faced boy, Marco Rubio, was all the rage on Fox News all day long for the greatest third-place finish. You guys remember that? I do. The greatest third-place finish in the history of the Nine Realms, okay? Um, so we all knew what Roger Ailes was doing for years on Fox, but it wasn't, it was kind of a known secret, right? Like your favorite college sports uh, website knows who's getting the recruits because the coaches are telling them. They just can't openly say that because it's an NCAA violation. But we all know where they're getting their information from, right? Sure. Right. In this case, though, everybody knows who Donald Trump is. He's not, a, you know, the, the Charlie's Angels voice on the, on the speakerphone whose face is never seen. Daniel, could he blatantly do that? both of those things at the same time? With, 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 are there obstacles to that? Right. I mean, hey, we here at the blaze, we have been hesitant about having our people endorse candidates or the website to do it because of these sorts of things. And we don't have nearly the target on our back that Donald J. Trump does. What are your thoughts on that, Daniel? Does it have to be either he's or? Time, he's got time on his side. I mean, that's the bottom line. Uh, typically, as you well know from your experience in Iowa, the next presidential election starts the day after the previous one, mm -hmm. except for him. He's got time. He's got 150% name ID and 95% love among the GOP base. Um, he's got plenty of time. He doesn't have to sit and start campaigning and making traditional trips to Iowa, nor will he, nor does he need to. Um, what he needs to do is establish that national brand he already has in terms of being a disruptor outside of the Oval Office. So I think he has plenty of time to get that started up. And then once he does that, let's say, I don't know, 2023, he could easily step away from it in the same way he stepped away from his business ventures to become president. I don't think that's really going to be a problem. So if let's say there's a Trump TV or there is uh, a Trump Newsmax kind of a partnership, so to speak. Could he go out there in the 2022 campaign and openly advocate in primaries for candidates with that sort of a media venture in place. Could he do that? Do you know the answer to that, Daniel? I don't, I don't see why not. I mean, I, okay. I, I literally don't see why not. Because it, it, it his is, name's it Donald Trump clear. and they, they tried to frame him for a P-tape that doesn't exist and Russian collusion for several years. And then they tried to impeach him over a 27-minute phone call to Ukraine that actually turned out to be, even if he's guilty of what he was accused of at the time, uh, turned out to be an expedition in search of uh, nefarious Biden activity that appears to have actually happened. That's why. <laughs> well, you asked me legally. <laughs> yeah, yes. How about extra legally? Extra, extra, extra legally, legally, could he do it? Extra legally, could he do it? Well, extra legally, I don't even want to know what comes down that pike for all of us over the next year or two. What about talent? Could you see him take a Hannity or a... To me, Tucker Carlson is what's holding Fox News together at this point. All right? So uh, could, he, could he pry... I think Hannity, he could absolutely pry away, but I don't think that's nearly the coup that prying... Tucker Carlson away would be. Could he do that? Do you guys think? No, but no. I, I could see him doing something like him, him, Megyn Kelly going to work for him. Wouldn't that be something? Oh, I know. Remember the very See, first can... Fox debate when she was the, the the attack dog that they him her and Chris Wallace. The mission was to take him out. I remember that debate, right? The... And it was after that that he talked about her bleeding out of her whatever, right? That would be the ultimate Trumpian move. As a good friend of mine who works in the White House said to me just the other day, 
The only thing that Donald Trump likes more than people who are always with him are people who are now with him and previously weren't. All right. The idea of a new Trump TV venture and Megyn Kelly is the is the eight o'clock Eastern anchor. That is a uniquely Trumpian move. And to me, this is the crucial thing. Let's face it. He did not get all the best people like he promised he would as president. He needs to get uh, all the best people to make this worth it. I, and I don't think it is for him to go out. I think it is more for him to kind of co-opt something that already exists, newsbacks. That way he can kind of pull a, well, if it doesn't work out, well, it was their fault. Somewhere Christopher Ruddy is listing this and say, hey guys, I, I appreciate you guys playing you know, oh, fantasy oh. Uh, uh, advertising or fantasy uh, media manager with, with my property here, but thank you. And plus, he's not yeah. buying green bananas, man. He's seven 74 years old, right? Yeah. Yeah. Although Ruddy and Trump have been friends for many years, but maybe that's why Ruddy's like, that's why I don't want to do Because <laughs> I know what happens if we bring him in. All right, we'll continue our conversation. Looking at the state of play for conservatives heading in to 2021. A few questions left for us to tackle in our final hour. Coming up next. So fresh off yet another of the most important elections of our lifetimes. And this one actually felt like it might have been the closest to that being true that I can recall. But it ain't over yet. 57 days. It's still in the courts. The state of Georgia has a hearing going on right now about voter fraud allegations as we speak. Speaking of Georgia, we're going to go from the most important presidential election of our lifetimes to now what we're being told is the most important Senate runoff election of our lives. We'll discuss that here next on the Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Back with our final hour here today, filling in on the Glenn Beck Program. We are the crew from the Steve Dace Show. That would be me, uh, Steve Dace, Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre. We've had a special guest with us who's our colleague here at the Blazin Conservative Review, Daniel Horowitz. We've been talking about the state of play for conservatives and conservatism heading into 2021. And of course, a lot of attention right now, gentlemen, and that's where we're going to go next, is on the Georgia Senate runoff. Uh, Georgia's having yet another hearing in the legislature today as we speak about uh, voter fraud allegations in the state. Uh, the governor, Brian Kemp, who has had, um, a, 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 I guess we would call it a combustible relationship with, uh, with with Donald Trump this year. Although it's been more like Jeff Sessions and Donald Trump where Trump is constantly on the attack and the other guy's like, hey, I really support him. I don't know why he's mad at me. Uh, but that was what Kemp was saying. Uh, earlier this year, I thought the president was wrong to go after Brian Kemp uh, when he was trying to reopen his state. I was firmly ensconced on Brian Kemp's side because that's where the data is and I go where data goes. This time, I I, I definitely lean more Trump on this one because again, I go where the data goes and I don't trust the data out of his state because I don't trust Democrats in Fulton County, Georgia, but I guess that just makes me a traitor or something, right? Or stupid or a moron, right? Apparently. But um, the Georgia Senate runoff is a week from yesterday. Control in the U.S. Senate hangs in the balance. You have uh, David Perdue, Kelly Loeffler, two incumbents trying to hold off two Democrats with the exact same ballot harvesting mail-in voting system, my bad, uh, that we had in the presidential election in place here. The early voting numbers uh, in terms of totals of turnout are, in, are just off the chain. I mean, the numbers are sky high. So 
Let's talk about this runoff. And Daniel, I'll start with you. How does this outcome, whatever it is, change the political landscape next year either way? What do you think? So let's start off with the math. If Democrats have a 92 to 8 majority in the Senate and two seats are at stake, um, how much does it make a difference? And I think that's really the question here. Now, let me just start <laughs> Explain off Explain your the, 92 to 8 majority. <laughs> well, I mean, I was being charitable by saying there's eight conservatives in the Senate. There really aren't, but let's just call it eight. Um, look, look at the legislation we just had last week. Every major legislation that is passed is passed with super majorities. Name me the number of Republicans in the Senate that share a modicum of Republican values on the issues of our time. How many Republicans in the Senate oppose lockdowns? I mean, it's somewhere in the single digits. Yep, it is. So, no, I mean, it is. And hopefully not the lower single digits, but that's where it is. So that's what I mean by it. Now, let me just say the one wrinkle, I think the one major effect Democrats flipping uh, those seats would have is – in, in the following sense, it, if Democrats win, it will make Kavanaugh even more reluctant to rule properly on cases in front of him because he will fear the Democrat, at least their threat of packing the courts. Whereas I think without those votes, without winning those seats, they won't have the ability to do that. But as far as every other issue, I want to make it very clear to your audience, if there's one thing you get from me today, it's this. We don't live in the old paradigm where you mechanically pass a bill. Let's say, oh, I want to institute the new Green Deal. I want to institute abolish ICE. Here it goes through the House. We have some committee hearings. We have a markup. We vote. Then we go to the Senate and do the same. And then it goes to the president for signature or at a state level with the governor. That's not how it works. They implement their stuff executively. They implement it through the courts, and now they implement it through the streets and the culture like we saw with BLM, and we have more crime and more prison releases ever this year, and almost none of that was passed legislatively. It's done on the streets. It's done without a vote. So it doesn't matter. They're never going to pass abolish ICE because it's stupid for them. They'll get the liability and the blowback from the electorate. You know what they do? They're not going to take away ICE's uh, salary. No, they They're not going to shutter their buildings. Fund it below Obama era levels. They just do it that way. Or, or, or they take away your purview. You can't deport anyone. They're not going to pass the new Green Deal. They're just going to have the Department of Interior say you need to do X, Y, and Z in order to do fracking, which is ostensibly never doing it. That's what they're going to do. And Republicans are never going to use that. 51 rhino majority in the Senate to go and force a budget battle over those issues because they didn't do it when they had all three branches or two. So they're certainly not going to do it with one. That is the reality. So I just wanted people to understand mechanically what I mean when I say it doesn't make a difference um, who wins those Senate seats. Here's where I largely agree with your analysis. And the only reason I don't totally agree with it is because I'm already hyper cynical and I'm afraid of what would happen to me if I allow myself to go from 9.75 to the 10 that you are at. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's my own self-defense mechanism. But here's where I do think it matters. Don't you think the outcome next Tuesday validates or verifies one way or the other the presidential voter fraud claims? 
I mean, if yes, if if Trump, if 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 the two Republicans win those seats, then doesn't that hurt the cause that those of us that are saying, hey, look at the anomalies, and doesn't it actually bolster the cause of some of our friends who are conservative and don't think there's voter fraud because they just think that Trump uniquely drove out a vote opposed to him because of his persona? Doesn't it help their cause anecdotally, at least in that case? On the other hand, um, if 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 the if they do that but they do it again doesn't it point to what we are saying you see what i'm trying to say daniel doesn't doesn't the outcome one way or the other provide some anecdotal confirmation about the dueling narratives of this presidential election absolutely because the biggest exculpatory claim against voter fraud is to say no the reason why republicans never lost a single house seat despite losing the presidential election is just this large dichotomy between suburban white voters around big metro areas like, you know, in Fulton County, mm-hmm. their attitude towards Trump versus their, you know, desire that Democrats in general don't win because they don't agree with the Democrats because they're too radical. I think I think that will really shed a lot of light on it. Absolutely. I mean, don't Democrats, um, therefore, on the other hand, feel pressured to run the exact if we're right that they ballot harvested in a county like Fulton County. Don't they feel pressure, therefore, then to run that exact scheme back in this Senate runoff? Otherwise, it it, it kind of gets pointed out that the other way, too, doesn't it? Right. They kind of have to, don't they? Don't Democrats have to do it again? Well, it looks like they've already done that. <laughs> if you look at the early voting numbers, I just think that's an angle to this that's probably not been discussed enough because there's so much talk about the focus on uh, whether the power goes to the Senate or not. And. It, 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 listen, a week from now, Democrats could have total control in Washington. But man, I know, and you and I agree, they will pursue that regardless of what their margins are with reckless abandon. But you don't have to alienate too many people to get a massive comeuppance in the next election. When you have the smallest, that would be the smallest House majority in 80 years, potentially a 50-50 Senate that Kamala Kamala Harris is breaking uh, a tie with, and then a presidential election where 75 million people feel like they got disenfranchised. I mean, it, the the level of backlash that you could face with those kinds of scant majorities in the way you govern in the next election uh, could be monumental, but we'll talk about that in the future. All right, Todd and Aaron, I want to get you guys' take on this and, and the Georgia Senate runoff when we come back. The Georgia Senate runoff, how does that result? Next Tuesday, change the paradigm, the landscape, one way or the other. I, I'm really tracking with Daniel in his answer because I was actually going to say, you know, you, you really have to have 50, I think 92 to 8, really. Uh, you you got to have 92 <laughs> Republican senators to 8 to really make a, a difference. So I, I'm tracking with him because I don't, I don't want this to sound... Uh, nihilistic oh, at all, not. but my goodness, it's the season after <laughs> yeah. all. Yes. Uh, my goodness. It, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day, because I'd like to, I'd like to introduce you to Obama's pen and phone and a willing bureaucracy. And uh, let's call it a deep state who willingly carries out the edicts, unless maybe by some chance they go to the Supreme court where, where John Roberts will once again, change the definition of what words are. Okay, that that's the t- that's how this game is played. There's no doubt, as was mentioned in the previous segment, it, it doesn't really matter if they have if Democrats have control of a- either chamber of uh, a- of Congress. 
Now, it helps grease the skids of where they want to take the country. That's that's for sure. But it, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter because they're going to do it by hook or by crook. So I really don't think it changes the political landscape. By all means, though, I mean, if, if you want to see gridlock, if you want that chance to see gridlock, which is basically what this is a vote for, by all means vote, but but it's not really going to change the landscape all that much. It has, a, I mean, it has a chance to s slow things down, but changing the landscape, um, not not so much. I, I chuckled yesterday when uh, when Biden was complaining he wasn't getting the proper uh, foreign policy and uh, Defense Department briefings for a presidential transition. So he's basically un behind the eight ball from an information standpoint. I'm like, come on now. Because based on what we all have been watching on CNN for the last few years, it looks like the Biden campaign and the 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 the, the Pentagon and the State Department. It looks like the the intelligence community. It looks to us like they've actually been quite cozy and friendly yep. and informing one another on a nightly basis. In fact, all right, Todd, your answer. Well, we all know it's true as much as it hurts. But like I said, the best case scenario to what I want is reality, even if it hurts. And I said earlier, the best case uh, for this election is to have it actually be stolen for us to know it and to wake up and realize why and what we need to be do differently. I mean, it was stolen in Georgia, of all places. Georgia. Something's come off the rails. And if that means also the Senate needs to be lost, because right now, even in the face of everything we've seen in 2020, Steve and I talk about this all the time. People, oh, I can't wait for 2021. It's going to be better. It's got to return to normal. We're better than this. We can't. No, we're not. We're not better than this. It's not going to return to normal. It, it's going to be just as bad, if not worse. That's the smart money. And whatever it takes for you to wake up to that fact is, quite frankly, what we need. All right. Final question that we're going to tackle here today before we let Daniel go. And that question is this. If you could give a national address to conservatives, what would you say? And Daniel, we're going to let you go first and, and, and take the time within reason that you need. How would you, what would you say to conservatives nationwide? And you got a pretty good sized audience of conservatives right now, obviously, here on a Hall of Famers program. But if you could, I mean, if they were all tuned in, what would you be telling them? Well, look, and thanks for the opportunity. And thank you, Glenn, as well. It's time we look inwards. Take a look at the 24 to 30 states where Republicans control everything, often with super majorities. There's no one to blame. You can't say, oh, my gosh, we can't have the Democrats win. We might have socialism. We have in Hawking County, Ohio, a red county within a red state. Trump carried it by a 52-point margin, 72 to 20. And a, a woman was whisked away at a middle school football game outdoors and tased for not wearing a mask. In Idaho, hmm. a church singer had an outdoor uh, uh, event. He was arrested. What we are doing is not working. Are we going to spend the rest of our lives doubling down on failure? I mean, the Republican Party has existed in defiance of its base since Reagan. That's a longer period of time than the entire shelf life of the Whig Party. Hey, guy, one six, you have so much and you bring in little. You eat without being satiated. You drink without getting your fill. You dress and it has no warmth. And you profits, profits into a bundle with holes. Now, what does it say after that? 
So said the Lord, consider your ways, ascend the mountain, bring wood, and build the house, and I will accept it, and I will be honored, said the Lord. It's time we actually build that wood like a Boy Scout from bottom up in affirmative movement that we could be proud of. Start in the Trump plus 15 counties within the red states. Right now we have 50 blue states. So let's start there where people intuitively agree with us. Start pressuring the sheriff, the school board officials, the county commissioners, the county judges. This is where it all is. Get involved in those primaries. Then go to state legislature and governor. And what's going to happen is one of two things. Either we will finally take over the Republican Party or it will reach a point of no return where we will now have a strong enough infrastructure movement to easily start a third party, which will become that second party and collapse the other side. But time is of the essence and we have to act now. You know why? Because as C.S. Lewis warned, those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end for they do so with the approval of their own consciousness. And that's what they're doing with Corona fascism. It will not end unless we make it end. And that's going to happen at a local level. When you say, Daniel, there aren't any red states. What do you mean by that? I mean that there is no state that Republicans have control of everything. And the governance, not just related to stuff we cared about 50 years ago, but even relating to the most pressing issues of our time, like letting criminals out of jail and locking up Americans in Corona fascism, we don't have a single state that is nearly as red as California is blue or even a fraction as red. Wyoming, there's two Democrats left in the state Senate. There's no Democrats around there. Uh, the governor uh, talks like Cuomo. I mean, I'm just telling you, that is my point. Show me one state, you know, perhaps Florida. Florida, perhaps, although I don't know if the Republican legislature is that great there. But that is the point. We need to look inward, start with the low-hanging fruit, start where people agree with us. And look, if we could have three, five, seven states where we could have an asylum for civil and religious liberty, I'll take that over zero. I find, uh, I think Florida is going to be the Megiddo state of 2021, Daniel. I think, yep. I think you're watching Ron DeSantis is essentially going to launch a full frontal assault on COVID stand from his state in 2021. And, you know, we spent a lot of time last hour talking about if Trump is out of the White House next year, what does that look like for him? And we all agreed to a various point that he would dominate the narrative from a messaging and branding standpoint. But on a on the policy side of things, Ron DeSantis is going to be the face of the loyal opposition, I believe, next year. I think it, I think and you can already see it the way the media is covering and lying about Florida like they did Sweden all of this year. It's going to be Ron DeSantis versus the world next year. And it looks to me like that's a fight that he actually is picking. He's picking the fight. So I will be fascinated to see how it turns out. As always, my friend, uh, it is, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for joining us, Daniel Horowitz. Get his work at The Blaze and Conservative Review. Subscribe to his podcast as well. Thank you, Daniel. As always, brother, happy new year. God bless. Happy new year. All right, we'll come back. Todd and Aaron, could you get your answers to that question as well? What would we, what would we say if we had an opportunity to speak to every conservative in the country? More on that in a moment. I want to thank our good friend and colleague here at The Blaze and Conservative Review, uh, Daniel Horowitz, for joining us here today on the Glenn Beck program. Hopefully you enjoyed a little 
pre-New Year's, New Year's revelry, otherwise known as his unique brand of woe and lamentation. We are the crew from the Steve Day Show filling in for Glenn Beck here for another 25 minutes or so on stations around the country. That's me, Steve Dace, Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre. And uh, men, we've been doing kind of this roundtable conversation on the state of play for conservatives and conservatism and conservative media heading into the new year. And the final question that we're going to tackle today, well, we, we just got Daniel's answer and I kind of cleared the deck. I wanted to give him ample time to give it. Uh, so now it's uh, the three of us, our turn. Um, if we had, and we've got a pretty sizable audience every day on the blaze and a pretty sizable audience right here, even in a holiday week on, you know, one of the most successful talk radio programs of all time, uh, the Glenn Beck program. But if we could get to everybody that we're not tuned in with us right now, everybody that doesn't have us on right now, if we could talk to all conservatives in America right now, what would we, what would we say, Todd? Well, you're right about Governor DeSantis. But as I've, we've talked about on our, our show before, Florida is the 400-pound gorilla in the room. So that spotlight is there no matter what. I would talk to everybody else about making sure the spotlight finds you in your own place. It is time for action. We're way beyond words. We're way beyond confabs and book signings. It's about what can you do in your own backyard. So while not everybody can be DeSantis, you can be Christy Nome. What she has manufactured in South Dakota, and listen, I'm going to give it the benefit of doubt that it's all real, Okay, okay, that this isn't some kind of grift. But re you'll recall, and I don't even remember what the issues are, Steve. Maybe you do, but back when he was in Congress, there was some concern. It was pretty of, underwhelming. By, underwhelming, a lot of maybe a little yeah. squishy. I mean, not a sellout, but yeah. I don't even remember what the issues Just, were. I, I, that's It was squishy. Yeah. Yeah. Not It wasn't that, you know, you were like, oh, she's stabbing me in the back, but you were kind of like, right. Uh, this really, it, it wasn't anything really special. Right. Yeah. Well, here in this moment, she figured out how to grab opportunity by the horns and move hearts and minds to the point people are seriously thinking of South Dakota as a place they would move yeah. to. And we got to start when thinking South about South Dakota marketing that you move there yeah. is not a joke right now or a punchline. Right. People are like, I don't know. I mean, January and February kind of blow chunk watts, but what about, tell me about right. the rest of the year. Right. And moving with our feet, Steve, you've been talking about this for a long time. Like, why do you still live there if you're a conservative in California? You you need to own those uh, those realities and if make places like South Dakota or if not in Iowa, Missouri, uh, places like Oklahoma. What can we, even if we're defaulting towards right now, how can we make this lock solid and it goes to speaks to what daniel said all you conservatives that never think about running for school board you run for school board you need to get involved at every level of government board of regents why in god's name is the university of texas a liberal institution in any way shape or form fix that these are the places you need to take turf in these places you need to be christy gnome uh have no illusions anymore whatever you, and I get it. You went to Washington. You had ideas of, you watched West Wing. It inspired you. You thought you could make a difference. It chewed you up and spit you out. Well, take the opportunities where you can to actually make a difference by being uncompromising, realizing your enemy 
is just as vicious there at your local school board often as they are in Washington, D.C., but you have a hundred times greater chance of winning there. Yeah. That's why I chose the school district. I, my kids go to a public school. I have scalps on my wall of the victories I've won there because you can win there. So win them there and build up. We need to be thinking that way. You're not going to win them right now with the exception of some pretty amazing Hail Marys in Washington, D.C. You can win them all the time in states like Iowa, South Dakota, Missouri. Josh Hawley, is, as we speak, is uh, is is making He's the a first. That's breaking news. He's yes. the first senator to go on the record saying, I mean, Tommy Tuberville, the incoming senator in Alabama, the former football coach has intimated he's thought about it, but Josh Hawley at Missouri is the first to go on the record saying he will object to the electors uh, as a U.S. senator. That's going to force them to vote on it. Right. Yeah, that's what that's going to do. All right, Aaron, are, were you done? Go. Okay, Aaron. Yeah, my, my message is a variation of that, and it's don't be afraid. And if you are, overcome it, because you don't have a choice right now. You know, the great aviator uh, Chuck Yeager passed away recently in the last two to three weeks. Uh, what a dude. What a dude. And he was a guy who, at a very early age, didn't really have a whole lot of interesting in, interest in flying, but had great eyesight. So they said, hey, we're going to make you go into the Air Force. And he was an ace in World War II. And then after that, he proceeded to do a, a variety of uh, test uh, pilot operations, including being the first human being to break the sound barrier. You probably know his story, but you hear stories like General Yeager's. I'm sure there's somebody in your family, whether it's a, a grandpa or a great grandpa, maybe they told stories of being in wars previously, World War II, and it's just a different a different brand of man, a different variety of man than what we see right now. Because you, you, you think about the guys, the young men, some of them teenagers on those Higgins boats headed towards Omaha Beach. You think about a dear family friend of mine, Dale Miller, who was awarded the Bronze Star for mapping out South Pacific Japanese-controlled islands by night. Hmm. You think those guys were afraid? Of course they were afraid. Mm -hmm but they overcame it. That's what each of us have to do. As you're headed towards the next beach, you may be afraid, uh, you gotta overcome it. You don't have a choice. Establish a beachhead. Map out the next island, take that island. As Todd was saying, go for the achievable victories, because they're out there. And the number one thing is take ownership. Take ownership of your own community. Don't say, ah, so-and-so down the street with their in-this-house-we-believe sign. Did it again. They want to get... No, that's on you. You take ownership of it. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of walking into a store without a mask. Don't be afraid of opening up your business. Don't be afraid of the... Uh, of Maybe sometimes, as Todd has talked about in his, own, in his own community as well, don't be afraid of confrontation when it's warranted. If you are afraid, then overcome it, because then it gets a lot easier. So that's my main message. You can't make fear-based decisions. You can't make fear-based decisions. You got to overcome fear. Very well said, both of you. Um, I, I can't, on a thematic level, add anything more or better than what you guys and then Daniel in the last segment had to say. So let me just spend a couple of brief moments talking about this practically. 
I'm a kid born to a 15-year-old mom. I had to spend a year at Grand Rapids Community College that couldn't get admitted to the school I wanted to go to, the University of Michigan, because my math score and my ACT was abysmally low. I once failed the quick trip managerial exam. That's a convenience store chain in the Midwest because I couldn't remember how to add, divide, subtract, and multiply fractions. Okay? I, I got kicked out of university when I eventually got in because I spent too much time playing Super Tecmo Bowl and intramural basketball and not going to any classes. The point is, I'm not from some elite family. I didn't go to some elite university. Um, I, I have taken advantage, though, of the opportunities that uh, this country and the Lord have offered me. And I've been a part of the only successful grassroots effort that's ever gotten rid of state Supreme Court justices in American history. Uh, the two Iowa caucus winners that went from negative point negative percent to getting the most votes of all time. I've helped recruit scores of candidates that have gotten elected to offices in my own state and across the country. Meaning that if I can do this, I've done the things that our people are talking about here. And if I can do them, the kid born to the 15 year old mom who ate government cheese. Okay. If I, if I can do them folks, so can you in the audience as well. The answer Ladies and gentlemen, the answer is us. More in a moment. Final segment here filling in today on the Glenn Beck program. We are the crew from the Steve Day Show. Want to let you know on our way out the door here. Again, you can connect with us several different ways. Uh, get our show on Blaze TV. Uh, you can also subscribe to the podcast if you would like. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, where else? Uh, Amazon, etc. So just look for the name. D-E-A-C-E. -E. You can like us on Facebook, uh, on the free speech alternative to Facebook, MeWe. We have a page on both of those places, Steve Dace. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show, on the free speech alternative to Twitter, over there at Parlor at Steve Dace. And then there's our new YouTube channel as well, at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And again, we continue to get phenomenal response to yesterday's show and the discussion uh, about uh, my two books, A Nefarious Plot, which we're going to turn into a movie next year. And its sequel book, A Nefarious Carol, that uh, was released just about a week or so ago. You can get your copies right now at Amazon.com. Uh, we sold out of the book before Christmas, but uh, they've got inventory back in now. So go get your copies today if you liked the conversation we had yesterday of A Nefarious Plot and A Nefarious Carol over at Amazon.com. And if you have a moment uh, and you liked the book, leave us a five-star review too, if you don't mind doing that. I want to give you a taste of, you know, we went heavily meta these past two days and 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 we will definitely do meta on our show on a daily basis but we do a lot of data as well i'm a data guy okay um a data analysis uh strategy and messaging are kind of the three areas that that i help out with when i'm uh when someone's desperate enough to seek out my help in a political operation and one of my uh uh, one, a radio station I grew up listening to, Wood AM in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's where I grew up as a kid. Even though I was born in Iowa, I spent my teenage years in Michigan, and that's how I fell in love with all the state's sports teams. Go Blue. You have been lied to uh, in my old home state of Michigan for a long, long time. I want to give you some data. Michigan and Sweden have essentially the exact same population. Um, 
and you've been told, well, you know, Sweden gave up on COVID-19 freedom and they went to a lockdown. I actually went to the Swedish government website because I don't trust our media and read an English translation. These are the new restrictions in Sweden. Are you ready? Can't have mass public events of more than eight people at a time. Other than that, restaurants, bars, shopping centers, schools, all still open, no masks. That, that is the Swedish lockdown. Now, is it dumb? Um, is it anything close to how we have defined lockdown here in this country and throughout the Western world for the past nine months? It's not even close. Well, Michigan and Sweden have virtually the same amount of people. Michigan has had, as of, as of Monday, 519,876 COVID-19 cases, 12,754 deaths, with one of the most lockdown fetishist governors in the country, Gretchen Whitmer, right? She is, she's like the queen pimp of, uh, pimpress of lockdowns, right? Indeed. Couldn't even go get seed in your, to, you know, plant flowers in your garden last spring, right? Sweden, 396,048 cases, 8,279 deaths. In other words, about 140,000 fewer cases. Um, well over 4,000 fewer deaths without anything close to the restriction of freedom that you all have experienced in Michigan. And that is just part of what we do every day on our show. We have a zeal for truth. So we seek out data. We seek out facts. We give opinions based on what data and facts say, not on what we wish them to say. And that is something I think, for a lot of you, if you're looking for objective information, and we are too, we are too. Now, we are not a news show. We're an opinion commentary show, but we try to best we can to give our opinions and commentary based on actual facts and truthful information. And as we sign off um, with our second voyage of filling in for Glenn here over the holidays, and then next week we will return to our more modest corner of the universe. If you were looking for an incentive to, to hang around. If you're a Blaze TV subscriber or you want to become one and you watch Glenn's show uh, every day and you want to hang around from noon to 2 Eastern after he's done and the B team comes on, that's what we do, the data. And, and this coming year, um, with, with already you're getting lied to more than ever before, but now... When big pharma, big government, and, and big tech are going to be virtually indistinguishable from one another, you're going to need as many outlets that will just bravely follow the truth no matter where it goes as you can get. So we invite you to come and search for the truth with us. We get back on Monday on Blaze TV. You can subscribe there at blazetv.com slash dace or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Amazon, Spotify, etc. Have a happy new year. Thanks for putting up with us the past couple of days. John 317. This is the Glenn Beck Program.